So you guys have got that first scripture that comes up, Matthew. Yeah, you could just leave that up for a moment. So the first thing that I want to say is obviously thank you very much for having me, Linda. Thank you for for hosting me, and, and I know that Wayne had made arrangements ahead of time before he went away. But I, I want to say this too: that as I stand in this pulpit today, I stand under their authority. Okay, and that if I say anything that needs to be corrected from your side, please go ahead and correct me. No, no, seriously, because I'm not the father in this house. I'm not the shepherd in this house. And what happens so often with preachers is that we come to impress when we're supposed to come and empower. Yeah, we're supposed to come and equip. So I'm not here to impress you. I'd be in trouble with the king if I if I did that. I'm here to empower and to equip. And so really, if I say something that is offline with what you guys are teaching or what you guys are building in, in your church, please, please go ahead and correct me. So next Sunday, just go, hey, I just want to set a few things right with the guy from Toddy. All right. And, and you just go, you go ahead and do that because you're under their leadership. You're under their covering. And it's not by happenstance that God has given them to you to lead, right? Such an important thing. And so I just make myself fully accountable to them um, as leadership under Wayne and Lindo and the rest of the team. Isn't that cool? Good. So you better take notes, bro. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you're tracking through an, uh, this idea of prayer. I'm going to come down. Is that okay? Can I do that? I'm going to come down here. And... Uh, so you guys are tracking through with prayer. So this is the scripture that you've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. So Matthew 6, 9 to 13 says, In this manner, therefore pray. I just, gotta, I just want to put this out there. If you're a Christian and you're not praying, you need to pray. Because this is true. God does not answer. Now listen carefully. God does not answer 100% of the prayers you do not pray. That's deep, people. That, that's deep right there, right? Come on. That's deep. So, so this is the deal. God invites us to pray, to pray. He invites us. In fact, that's what Jesus does, right? He says, hey guys, listen, until this point, you've not asked anything in my name. But right now I'm saying to you guys, I'm going to go away. But whatever you want, ask the Father in my name. And this is what he says. He doesn't say the Father will take it under consideration. He doesn't say, you know, it'll go before the panel in heaven and they'll think about it. Maybe they'll get back to you in a week. They'll send you an email. You, you know those emails, right? You send off an email. Thank you for your email. We appreciate that you've taken the time, but we'll get back to you in a week, you know? No, no, no. The Bible says that whatever you ask, the Father will hear, right? And that He will grant you. Why? The Bible says so that your joy may be full. Come on. Jesus wants us, well, I ask myself the question, why is the church so glum? Why are people not so happy? I think because they haven't prayed enough. Because when you pray, you'll see things happen in your life. Your life will be so different. You know the difference between somebody who just kind of and somebody who prays through life. Because when you pray through life, you will see the joy of the Father. You will see the glory of the King. You'll see His answer to prayer all the way through your life. Your life won't just be peppered with good things. It'll be full of good things. Because that's what the Father has promised. Prayer is not a, you know, it's, it's not a suggestion. It's how we live our lives. Because you cannot be friends with somebody and not talk to them. God invites us into a friendship. He invites us into sonship. And He says, come and commune with me. Prayer is so important. So we pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I listened to a couple of the sermons. Man, I think everybody pointed out how good God is, right? And we're going to, we'll start there too, just to remind you. I thought, let's remind you how good God is. He says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we're going to kind of camp there for a little while. For yours is the kingdom. And the power and the glory forever. Deliver us. 
Those words kind of stood out for me. God wants to deliver you. God wants to do great things in your life. I think we've preached that so often that we've lost sight of what God really wants to do. So I want you to go, if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. And I think the scripture is there so you can go through. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's cool. That's why we've got a big screen. And you can read it here. It's talking about Jesus. It says, who gave himself for our sins. Say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, when you read scripture, you've got to respond. You see, because scripture is alive, it's living. It's not just pages on a book, it's Jesus. Remember John, the book of John, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then the Bible says in verse 40, and we be, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. The Bible's teaching us that the word is Jesus. Every time, you, you know this, right? Every time you open the Bible, you get to commune with the King of Kings. And the Bible's telling us, Jesus is saying to you, hey, listen, I died for your sins. Every time we hear that, we should do a little tap dance. Hey, that's awesome. It's good news. That he might deliver us, listen to this, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This scripture is telling you and I, saying, hey guys, listen, this is God's will for your life. That in every place you be delivered. Why? Because it's your Father's will. It's your Father's will that you be delivered from every attack of the enemy. From every wicked thing that would come your way. God desires your deliverance. Now, once you've read the scripture, what you can determine in your mind, you never ever again in your life have to question His intention in your life. Like, is God going to be good in this situation or not? No, He's going to be good. God, are you going to bless me or not? No, He's going to bless me. God, are you going to work this for good in my life because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose? Yes, that's what you're going to do. You don't ever have to in your life again think, is God going to do this for me? Because here's the scripture. The Bible says what Jesus did on the cross. Boom. I love it, man. We're coming to Passion Weekend, right? What everything that did Jesus did on the cross, He did because He loves you because it was in God's heart to deliver you. We have to settle this in our hearts. So one of the wonderful things for me is the, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in scripture. That God changes things so much that He reveals something. So the Old Testament is not a revelation of God. Do you remember the story? Philip says to Jesus, he says, uh, hey Jesus, when are we going to see the Father? Who knows what Jesus says to Philip? He says, Philip, have I been with you so long? <laughs> have we been hanging out for so long and you haven't got it yet? If you've seen me You've seen the Father. Remember those words? What Jesus was saying, He's saying, I am the fullest expression of the Father. He's saying, everything that I've done, the Father, I've done because the Father has told me to do it. He says, I have not said a word that the Father didn't intend for me to say. I haven't done anything that wasn't in the heart of the Father. Everything I've done is what the Father would have done. So when the leper came to Jesus and said, please heal me, He was like, it would be my pleasure, the Father said to do it. And the blind man, and the deaf man, and the diseased woman, whatever it was, when they encountered Jesus, they encountered the Father. It's the most powerful thing. Now in the Old Testament, Old Testament, we had a partial revelation of the Father. Not the fullest, because the fullest revelation came with Jesus. Does that make sense? You're all tracking with me? So who remembers David? Come on, this be- I mean, you, rem- you remind us of David this morning, right? So David, David writes one of the most phenomenal portions of scripture in the Bible, Psalm 23. Come on, say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I shall not once. You know that that word once in the Hebrew means to decrease? It means to fail or lack. So what David is saying, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not decrease. I shall not fail. He- he's saying, I cannot be in one because the Lord is my shepherd. 
So David has this revelation of God being his shepherd. Go with me quickly in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 10. It's not up there. Sorry, guys. I bounce around a lot in scripture. That's why it takes me so long to preach. John 10, 10. So remember, David, and David, oh man, God says such beautiful things about David. He says, David is a man after my own heart. David's quick to repent, and so should we. David loves the Lord. He writes music to the Lord. He connects with God. He, you know, he's a, he's a picture of how we should worship God. David had a wonderful revelation of God, yet he calls him shepherd. John 10, 10 and 11. So what does it say? Someone. Because I don't. John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Okay, stop right there. You're going to read the next one. So what's Jesus saying again? Hey, I've come to deliver you. Yeah. come to set you free. I've come to bring you into good things. I've come to do good in your life. That's his promise. So here Jesus is and he's revealing what? The will of the Father. But Jesus is the fullest expression of the Father. So what's the next thing? What does it say in verse 11? It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Amen. Did you hear that? Jesus says, I'm not just the shepherd. Come on. I'm not just the shepherd that Jesus was, that David was talking about. I'm the good shepherd. Come on. You didn't get that. Come on. The father that you serve, he's not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not just a father. The Bible says in Matthew 7, so Jesus speaking to the, to, to people, he says, Hey man, you guys are good dads. You're good parents. And if your child asks you for, for a fish, you won't give them a, uh, or if they ask for bread, you won't give them a stone. If they ask for fish, you won't give them a, a serpent. You won't give them a nyonga. You won't give them a snake. He says, and, and that's you. You're good, but you're evil compared to who God is. God's good. So this is the revelation that Jesus brings us that, that God is not just the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Come on. That's who He is. That's who the Father is. That gives you and I, it should give you and I such a boldness, such a confidence to walk with God. Such a sense of God is with me and God is for me and nothing can come against me. And so we stand up under anything that the enemy would want to throw at us. Because we know that He's for us. And we don't ever have to second guess, God, are you with me? No, He's with you. And He died to be with you. He gave everything so that He could be with you. And I know I'm looking out over some of you today and I know some of you don't believe that. You believe it can be true for Lindo because, I mean, he's an amazing man of God. And, and he does good things. So that's why God probably wants to hang out with him. But the truth is God loves you. And he loves you in spite of you. In fact, he loves you at his worst. He loves you at your worst, at his worst, at your worst. He's never worse. <laughs> he's always good. That's who he is. That's who he is. I, I'm going to tell you a story. It's not in my notes. Because again, it just, it, for me, it was just such a revelation. This rocked my world. It changed my world in understanding how God loves me. The one day I was at Checkers, and I was quickly getting some stuff, some bread and milk, something like that. I can't even remember what. And I pulled up to, to, the, to the teller, and I was just about to put my stuff through, and two guys came and stood behind me. And the Lord said to me, hey, Wiz, why don't you pay for their stuff? I was like, okay. And you quickly have a look, make sure there's not a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so like, okay, I'm going to pay for this stuff. So, so these two guys, one had a, a, had a backpack on, the two gentlemen were standing here. So I said to the guys, hey, can I pay for your stuff? And they were like, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I just feel like the Lord wants to bless you. I said, can I please pay for it? So I grabbed their stuff and I put it through and they bagged it and the guys came around me and I just said, hey, Jesus loves you, man. 
I just want you to know that God spoke to me to pray. He loves you. And so they grabbed their stuff. They grabbed their packet of things. And they probably walked about two meters away. And they were both arrested by the security. Boom. Both of them grabbed. I was like, I'm like, Lord, what have you done? You've just made me an accessory to a crime. You know, what, what's going on here, Father? And the gentleman with the backpack had taken off him. And it was full of stuff that he had just stolen. And, um, and right there in that moment, God said, go tell him I love him. And I went up to the one guy and I just grabbed him. I said, listen, bro, Jesus loves you. And right there, I had a word from him. I said, and God is saying to you that if you'll trust him, you'll never have to steal. He'll take care of you like he took care of you right here. He made me pay for your stuff because he wants to take care of you. And you know what? When, when they got dragged off. They got taken away. I, I mean, I couldn't stop that. But what I realized in that moment, because God rocked my theology of what love is and how he loves us. You see, they were planning a crime and God said, bless them. Hey, I'm the prophet of the Lord. I mean, I should have gone, thus saith the Lord. Thou was stealing from checkers. Repent thou sinner. That's not what God did. That's not, that's not what God did. That's not what he did for you. That's not what he did for me when I was stealing from him and I was using his name in vain and I was running around drinking and doing all kinds of stupid things. He paid for my bill. And he'll pay for yours. And that's who he is. He's the God that loves us so incredibly, so remarkably. It blows us away. In the midst of that moment when they were stealing, when they were at their worst, Jesus was at his best. He's saying, provide for them. Take care of them. And that's God's word to every single one of us. Why? Because he wants to deliver us. Why? Because he's not just a shepherd, he's a good shepherd. He's not just with you. He's not just by your side. He's on your side. He's not just with you. He's for you. Come on. He's for you. And if we would wake up and believe this, we'd be different in the way that we pray, in the way that we pursue God, and the things that we go after. We'd be just completely, completely different. Go with me quickly to 1 John. Maybe you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but it's on the screen. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. I want to just show you something about prayer very quickly, and then we're going to jump on to do some other things quickly. So this says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. I want to say this to you. You and I have to have a confidence in our God. We have to. Confidence is a faith. Faith. Faith is not in us. You know, as Christians, we've got to be so careful that we don't become confident in ourselves. So, comes to my brother, hey, hey, bro, how you doing, man? How's it going? Man, you're looking good. And I said to him, I got up this morning, I read five chapters of the Bible. He's like, I read ten. You know, oh, you read 10, okay. All right, man, okay. Oh, you know, I go to Linda. Linda, oh, I was praying this morning. I got up and prayed for like an hour and a half. He's like, pray for an hour and a half. I was up at 3 o'clock, been praying for four hours, still praying. Shandad, Ababa, Siki, did Ababa, Shandad. You'd be like, you never feel good enough. You never feel like you can, you know, you're never keeping up. And that's not what Christianity is about. We don't jump through hoops. We don't do tricks. We're not trying to prove things. No, God loves us. Right? And that's our confidence. Our confidence is not in us and in our ability that I can pray for hours. That's a good thing to pray. That's what we're talking about, right? It's a good thing to read the Bible, but someone's going to read more than you. (laughs) But that's not why you succeed in your life. That's not why you have victory in your life. That's not why God delivers you in your life. He's done it because He loves you. And He's done it because that's who He is. And the Bible says we should have a confidence in Him that God is good. So it means you face trouble in your life. And you go, God's good. This thing's not going to overcome you. Why? Because God's good. God's faithful. My confidence is in His character, in His nature, and in who He is. 
Bible says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So I want to just explain to you, I'm going to have two points to make you quickly. The Bible, when it, when it was written, it was written in Greek. It was written in a Koine, Koine Greek, which is a, a common Greek, you know. It was the street Greek. So Praiseworth, my brother here, he tells me about Isizulu. Alright, so there's an Isizulu that's spoken today, but it wasn't the same that was spoken in King Shaka's day, right? And we, we traveled up to Josini, hey, to do a, to do, uh, to plant a church a couple of years ago. Praise went back this year. And he had to do some interpreting in the tent. He's like, <laughs> their word for water and ours is not the same. I remember him telling me that. He's like, it's changed. So the Bible was written in an everyday kind of Greek. It was a common language, right? And when it was written, it wasn't written with grammar. There was no grammar in there. So can you see, we've got grammar, we've got full stops, and we've got commas. And commas change everything. But I want to, before I point out that, I want to make this point. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know this. We need to pray according to His will. So what is His will? Well, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this. It says, now thanks be to God, who always leads me in triumph in Christ Jesus. That's His will for your life. That in every place in your life, you are led in triumph. That's God's will for your life. We read Galatians 1.4. What does it say? It says that God wants to deliver you through Jesus Christ. That's His will for your life. Luke, Luke 12.32 says, it says, Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. Come on. So the Bible says we should pray according to His will. Well, how do we take those scriptures and pray? Well, if you're facing something in your life, you go, Father, thank you. This thing shall not overcome me. This mountain shall be removed in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for victory. Shun that and you begin to pray. You begin to press in. You don't worry about the mountain. You don't question God's character because that's settled, right? This is the confidence that we have in Him. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. So you need to know His will. You need to know His word. Friends, you've got to know God's word. You've got to love it and you've got to read it and you've got to bury it in your heart and you've got to allow it to be the roadmap for your life. You've got to allow it to speak into your heart because it will always lead you in victory. It'll always do that. But now what I want to show you something is a little bit different. I'm going to play with the grammar in this, in this sentence, okay? So please hear me now. So this is not a heresy, but I'm going to play with the grammar so I can prove another point. Because the context of what's saying here, I'll, I'll read you the context. It says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked him. So the question here, the context, is that God hears you. Friend, God hears you. When you cry, he hears you. When you ask for His help, He hears you. That's His promise. His promise is to hear you. So let me change where we put the comma. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, comma, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then we have whatever we ask. Listen, what the Bible is telling us, that not only God wants you to ask according to His will, but He wants you to know that His will is to hear you. His will is to hear you. His will is to give you His attention. You know, for some of us as Christians, the enemy has convinced you that God's just not that into you. He is. And it is His will to hear you. You know who's up before you in the morning? The Holy Spirit. And I sometimes think this is how He's waiting next to your bed. <laughs> Go, wake up. Wake up. I want to talk to you. And you, you know, you kind of wake up, oh, stretch a little, do the other side. You know, just kind of, he's waiting to be with you. Why? Because it's his will to hear you. Not only are we to pray in line with his word, that's, that's true. 
But more importantly, God wants to hear you. So what does this mean for you and I? Well, it means when we pray, we can have victory. We can have victory. I don't know how we're going to get through this. I've got 10 minutes left here, 5 minutes left. So let's do this. I'll try and summarize this for you. There's four things that I believe is important as we, begin, as we posture our hearts in prayer for victory, for warfare. I want to say this. Those of you that are fighting the devil, stop. We don't have time to go there, but in the book of Colossians, in the second chapter, the Bible says he's been defeated. Every principality and power being destroyed. You know what it's like? It's like you putting on boxing gloves, boxing shorts, get your song going, into the ring. Rocky Balboa, whoever you want to be, you know, in the ring there. You get in the ring, you're ready to fight. No one shows up. You see, this is the point. The point is, is that Jesus has been, Jesus defeated the enemy. He conquered him. He did. So when you and I fight, show up to fight the enemy, it's a waste of time. What do I mean by that? Yes, we have an enemy that contends against us. But how does he contend, contend against us? He brings deception and he twists the truth. What does Jesus say about Satan? What is the name he gives him? He says he's the father of lies. Yeah. He's the father of lies. And the only way he has power in our lives is to convince us to believe a lie. When we believe a lie, we give him access to our lives. That's the problem. But you and I have to take a posture in prayer. I don't have time for the enemy. I don't have time. For, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that. Why? Because you're not praying for victory. You're praying from a place of victory. You've heard that before, right? Come on. You've heard it, but we haven't believed it. You've heard it, but we haven't believed it. Why? Because we constantly, uh, we, the enemy constantly makes us feel like we don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. I don't have a wife. I do. Some of you don't. You know, we constantly, we, we feel like we don't have enough. I'm not fighting. I've got to get stuff. He's defeated the enemy for you. So he says, go possess the land. That's what he does. And so we posture our hearts and pray and we pray. Did you guys have a look at Luke 18 verse 1? It's not on there. Luke 18 verse 1. Did some of you do that in the preachers? Luke 18 verse 1 says, Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Do you know how we, we, we have spiritual warfare? We don't give up. We keep praying. We keep trusting God. We keep speaking to the mountain. We keep believing His promises. That's what the Bible says for us to do. Can you go to the next slide for me, please? Hebrews. So, the first thing that needs to happen in your life is you need to enter into a place of rest. Look what Hebrews says here. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The, the backstory, story very quickly in the book of Hebrews is the Israelites, right? They go to possess the promised land. The promised land is filled with giants. They come to the border. They decide, no, we're not going to do this. Only Joshua and Caleb decide that they're going to go in. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. And then when they come into the promised land... All right, Caleb and Joshua, they take them in. So they go into the promised land and everything has changed. So I wonder for the first group of Israelites that said no to the promised land, they said the giants are too big, there's too much going on there. They had a picture in their mind of what the fight would look like. Come on, stay with me now. They had The reason they didn't want to go in because they had a picture in their minds of what the fight was going to look like. They thought they're going to have to put boxing gloves on and get in the ring with someone like Lindor. Come on, if, I had to, if we had to put in boxing gloves, you know I'm going down. All right? <laughs> my brother's fast my size. And he, and he looks dangerous. Okay? 
So, so this is the reality. Those Israelites had no idea of what the fight was going to look like. When Joshua took his people in, what did it look like? It looked very different. It looked like a whole bunch of men with the worship team out in front. God said, march around the city. March around the city? I said, march around the city. Like around the city? Like just in a line? Yeah, in a line, march around the city. All right. It didn't look like a fight. It didn't look like shields and swords. It looked like God bringing deliverance. It looked like them being obedient to God. I want to tell you something, friend. When we pray, the next thing we do is obey. We do what He says to do. And God in prayer speaks to us. He communes with us. If you are doing all the speaking in your prayer time, you're not praying. You need to take time to hear His voice. Because that's what Joshua did. Joshua heard his voice and the fight looked very... I wonder what, 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 jo- what Caleb and them were thinking about. It's like, this is what it's going to be. I, thought, I, I also thought we were coming in for a fight. And what did God do? God destroyed their enemies. On the seventh day, and the seventh time they marched around, they let out a shout of praise. They let out a roar like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what did God do? He brought the walls tumbling down. And they had victory. You see, friend, the enemy makes you believe that the fight that God pulled you into is a fight where you got no chance. But the truth is, spiritual warfare, we take on this mindset, God's done it. And He's my victory, He's my strength, He's my power and my ability, and He makes my way perfect. So He's not a cosmic butler, but He is your King. And He's the King that came to deliver you, He's the King that came to set you free. And we need to change the way that we think and understand who God is and how He works in our lives, and we'll be completely, completely changed. You know, I was thinking about this this week and I thought, man, there's a lot of darkness sometimes that we've got to face. There are things we've got to change as pastors and as leaders. We, we're trying to win people to Jesus. We think, man, there's so many things that we're going against. And I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, where's? Seriously? I put you there because the darkness is supposed to be changed. Light dispels the darkness. You have the victory. You see, so often we feel like we're going to be, un, you know, over, overcome. That's not the point. God put you there because He knows you'll have victory. He knows that if you trust you, he'll bring the walls down. And so the Bible says we need to enter into a place of rest. What is rest? Rest is a state of mind. It's a posture of your heart. God's got this under control. God said it. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You're doing nothing? I'm doing nothing. God told me to rest. Who's going to pay that rent? God said he'd provide. God said he'd provide. Like, like how? Like he said he would. Really? Now you need to pray and God might say something. He might set you up at the right place at the right time to meet the right person to get a job so that everything comes together, right? But He's got it under control. And if you don't enter into rest, you'll always be on the opposite side of victory. Rest is that place. Hey, God's done it. My God can. I have confidence who? In Him. Him that He hears me, Him that He's done things. Love. The Bible says in Galatians 5 verse 6, Man, can I take 10 more minutes? Because you finish at half past. Is that okay? And then we, I've got some things. I'll just share them. A couple of other people have got some words. And then we'll minister to you if that's okay. If you've got a little bit more time, we'd love to pray with you and minister to you. But love. The Bible says in Galatians 5 verse 6, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Is it on there? Yes. But faith working through love. I've got to tell you something, friend. When you're a place of rest, then you've got to operate in love. So it's easy to operate in love. You know why? Because you are love. So if I ask you this question, it's not a hard one, so don't be intimidated. If a dog marries another dog, because we're in church, so you've got to get married before you can do these things. So two dogs get married, all right, and they have children. What are those, what do they have? A horse? They have dogs. If a cat and a cat get together, what do they have? 
Cats. If the cats had a dog, we'd call the pastor. There's something demonic going on your idea, right? Alright. Why? Because cats give birth to cats, dogs give birth to, to dogs. What did God give birth to? Hmm. Let me back up a little bit. When you gave your heart to Jesus, what did that experience, what was it called? Being born, born again. You say about it. I'm born again, right? I'm born again. So the idea is that you are new. Remember Nicodemus? He says to Jesus, eh, this is interesting, but um, I'm a man. How am I supposed to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is like, you completely missed it. The Bible says, if any man in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you give your heart to Jesus, you are born again. Right? So who were you born after? God. You were created in His image and His likeness. The Bible tells us in 1 John that God is... Who is He? Love. He doesn't love. He is love. And if love gave birth to something, what would it give birth to? To love. Yeah. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 5, it says the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. The Bible says you were born that way. You know, as Christians, we should never struggle loving people. And you know what? God's never impressed with you loving people like you. God's only impressed when you love those that are not like you. Yeah. The Bible says that our faith, our confidence in God works how? Through love. It works through love. And if you don't have love, your faith's going to be on shaky ground. But I'm here to tell you, your faith is strong because you are love. And you can operate in what God's called you to because you're of God. That's a whole other preacher. I don't have time to go there. But man, you've got to understand your identity. So rest is your place. Love is your identity. It's knowing who you are and what's possible with you. The third thing is truth. I won't take too much time on this. I wanted to go through Ephesians 6. But Ephesians 6, it's not in there because it's too long. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God. Do you know the scripture? And in Ephesians 6, there are four times where it says stand with sand. Stand, stand. How do we fight How do we have spiritual warfare? You stand. Why do you stand? Because it's been done. Why do you stand? Because victory is mine. You're defending what God gave you. So when we when we go and and we pray, and we're talking about prayer in a spiritual warfare kind of dynamic, I'm trying to pray things through, I'm trying to trust God for stuff, for victory in my life, or whatever it may be, how do you do it? You don't fight a battle. Don't get pulled out in there. That's called guerrilla warfare. You know what guerrilla warfare is, eh? It's skirmishes. So an army comes forward and, and an enemy force who doesn't have a big enough army, you know what they do? They cause a little trouble in the bush there. So the, so the army guy says, send a couple of guys to go see what's in the bush. They go along, they get killed. They get smoked. Why? Because they fight in a big pack. They're supposed to stay here. They're supposed to protect. And the enemy tries to get us to run off into guerrilla warfare kind of skirmishes. What's going to happen? You're going to get taken out. Because that's not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be here, how? Standing with Jesus. Don't you remember the Bible says you are seated together with Him in heavenly places? The Bible says you are complete in Him, Colossians 2 verse 6, right? That's what the Bible says. So when we make our stand, that's spiritual warfare. How do you make your stand? Well, the devil tries to put sickness or disease on your body. That's not what the Bible says. Father, thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Thank you that I'm filled with the life of God. Romans 8 verse 11 says, The life of God is in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, gives life to my mortal body. That's who I am. I'm not going to move from this thing. I'm healed. Sickness. I'm healed. Father, I give you praise. I surrender you. I thank you. That's the truth of His word. We're going to stay in that place. 
We've got to stay in that place. Rest, love, and truth. Friend, if you want to fight the good fight, stand. How do you stand on His Word? Every one of those, those, the pictures of, of the armor of God simply refers back to the Word of God. How do you protect your mind? The helmet of salvation, what God's Word says about who you are. The enemy comes and whispers, you're no good. You go, whoa, jeez, I'm not that stupid. I'm created in His image and His likeness. I carry His spirit within me. I have the life of God inside of me. He's made victorious in all things. Greater is He who is in me than he that's in the world. The Bible says something different about me. But the moment you, the enemy gets you to believe that, what's going to happen? Yeah, you're right, I'm no good. How am I ever going to do this thing? But when we believe what the Word of God says, we make our stand on the Word of God with something altogether different. That's what the Bible says. So we rest, we know it's done. We love the way that we're supposed to. Didn't have enough time to cover through that. Then we stand in His truth. Then we worship. How do you fight the good fight? You live a life of worship. You live a life of worship. Let me tell you something, friend. There's no greater act of worship than to take God at His word. There's no greater way to honor Him than to believe His word over the lies of the enemy. And we worship Him. I want to quickly give you one little thing of worship. And I've got three minutes, so let's see if we can do it. But you remember that one of the sons of Jacob was a man named Judah. Remember Judah? Judah had five sons. Five sons from two wives. Don't know why I said that, but you only allowed one. If you want a peaceful life. <laughs> five sons. So Judah. Judah's name means praise. It means celebration. I love this young, this man over here, man. He was, he was worshiping the Lord up here. I didn't get to see the rest of you. Probably some of you were worshiping. I was like, I love it. I love to see people worshiping, man. It's awesome. So Judah, his name means praise. It means celebration. So worship and the act of worship and living a lifestyle of worship is the greatest way to see victory in your life, to maintain your stand, to stay in your love and to stay in a place of rest is to maintain worship in your life. Worshipful of God. Worship of all that He's done. You see, worship is such a powerful act. That way of celebrating. You know what worship does? It gives birth to things in your lives. Just like Judah gives birth to five things. I'm going to show you the names of his son. It's quite amazing. It's, is it up there? Yeah, cool. So five things, these men's names. I want to point out to you, in the Bible, the number of five means grace. What's grace? Grace is God's empowering in your life. It's His strength in your life. It's Him alive in you. It's the grace of God. The, 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 Jesus is the grace of God in our lives. So, His first son, His name was Ur. Do you know what this name means? It means awake. It means to awake. So this is the first thing that happens to you when you begin to praise God. When you look at your circumstances and you understand these things and you begin to praise God, you awaken. You see things differently. Your perspective changes. Ever had that happen to you? Ever been in a place where you're feeling so down and dejected, you don't know what to do, and someone says, let's worship. Or maybe you've got a good Christian friend who comes over, they put on a CD, come on, let's worship God. Or maybe just something happens on the inside of you, you begin to strengthen yourself, you begin to worship God. All of a sudden, you have a different perspective. You awaken to a new reality. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. God's not going to let me down. He promised to deliver me. Worship changes your perspective. The first thing it gives birth to in your life is to awaken. You have new eyes. You see things differently. The second son that comes along for Judah, the celebrating, this praising, is the, his son was Anan. It means strength. It means to be strong. Who came to church today feeling a little down? And after worship, you're like, yeah. I feel like, come on. He was brave enough to get up and honor his wife in front of everybody, right? So awesome, bro. Come on, man. Hey? Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. It's a good thing for a man to honor his wife. 
means to be strong. You know what worship does to you? The moment it changes your perspective, strength comes into your life. You're strengthened. You're emboldened. The third thing that happens, this name, Selah, it means petition. It means petition. How many of you have felt so down, so depressed, that you don't even feel worthy to ask God anything? You think to pray it, but you don't because you just feel like, what's the point? That's a strategy of the enemy. It's a strategy of the, strategy of the enemy to make you feel so down, so depleted that you don't want to speak to God. But when you worship God, what changes? You awaken. You have a new perspective. Strength comes. You go, oh, I'm one with God. I'm a friend of the Lord. Hey, Lord, could you sort this out for me? Come on. Worship is a way we stay in victory. Worship is the way that we stay connected to God. Worship is a way that we stay, uh, stand with our eyes open. The fourth son that Judah has, the fourth thing that worship births is this. It's Perez. It means breach. It means breach. Breach means to break, to break through. Come on. This is what happens when you and I live a life of worship. When we live a life standing on God's word, we choose to position ourselves in rest. We choose to position ourselves in love. We choose to position ourselves in His truth. It gives life to, it gives birth to the life of worship. And the thing that happens in our life is a breakthrough. Friend, if you haven't seen what you're trusting God for, worship. And worship until it comes. And I promise you now it won't be long before it comes. Because the act of worship opens up the things of heaven. It does. The thing that praise gives birth to is breakthrough. That's deliverance. And I want to tell you something, friend. If you don't, if you don't remember anything from today, remember this. God is committed to delivering you. God is committed to seeing you victorious. God is committed to seeing you fulfill the things that He's called you to. That's His promise. And the last thing that happens, the last son of Judah was Zerah. It means rising. It means rising. You see, in the act of worship, you're awoken. Your perspective changes. Strength comes. You commune with God. And communing with God, there's a breakthrough. And what happens? God raises you up. You know that scripture in the Bible? It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, He will raise you up. You know what it means to humble yourself under God? It means to submit to His word. It means to submit to His way. It means, so you have an enemy, you can deal with your enemy. You can put him in the boxing gloves and smack him in the face. The Tarzan offering lady was talking about that. Or you can say, Lord, bless my enemies. And the moment you submit to the word of God, you humble yourself under his mighty hand. What will he do? He'll raise you up. He'll elevate you. He will strengthen you above your enemies. What was David saying in Psalm 23? He sets a table, in the, sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Friend, if you will choose to do these things, if you will choose to commit yourself to a place of rest, knowing what God's done. Live in love, walk in his truth, and live a life of worship. You will never be overcome. The enemy will never rob you of what God has promised to give you. Why? Because he's not just a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Amen? God is for you. And thank you for being gracious with the time. Thank you. I'm going to end there. And I want to encourage you guys. Don't stop believing God for what he says. Get around these leaders in your church. Let them fill you with the Word of God. Fill yourself with the Word of God. Understand what's true, what God's Word says about you. Your life will be so different. I listened to a pastor from Nigeria. His name's Pastor Chris. And he always says this. He says, God's not trying to get you a job. God's not trying to get you money. He's not trying to get you a spouse, a car. He's trying to get you the Word of God. Because if the Word of God will live on the inside, it'll produce in you everything that God has planned for your life. The Word in you will produce life out of you. Remember the Bible says that a man shall eat the fruit of his lips? When the Word is in you, it will come out of your mouth. It will change your life. Amen.